we have a wonderful experience as we declare that Jesus alone is worthy, the Lamb alone is worthy, and we give our worship unto Him and we bow in our hearts before Him, and that is worship. I'm also talking about worship this morning as we go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, and read about very practical attitude and behavior changes that the Lord Himself is calling for His church to make, His people to make, for you to make. That too is worship. And you express the care of God given to you when Jesus died on the cross every day in the way that you walk and the things that you say. You bring Him glory and honor or you fail to do so. As we come to this chapter now, we're not talking about your giftedness, the great talents God has given you, your native abilities. Those are not the issues at hand in Ephesians 4.25. And I told my son last night, we were both rejoicing that Baylor is now in the sweet 16 for the first time in my lifetime, all right? I wanted to work that into the sermon. So I'm announcing it to you. And uh, we're all excited about that, but he and I both agree, given the nature of this tournament, and everybody's been surprised that Kansas was beaten and others were beaten, it's not really about native abilities, how tall the team is, or how athletic they are. It's much more about heart, about desire, about attitude. When it comes down to the Sweet 16, and who walks away with the trophy, it's really about are you ready in mind and heart to do the thing that must be done. It's more about that than anything else. The tallest people can be in the court, and yet they'll lose because the desire level's too low or the motivation's not there or the wrong attitude crept in. That's really what we're talking about now. For you to really be victorious in the Christian life, these are things you must do. Now, it's been a close kind of week for me, all right? Close have been an issue all week. In fact, this is the second outfit I put on this morning. Third, actually. When Janet woke up and saw me, her mouth dropped, and she made me change. All right? But that's not the only thing that's happened all this week. It's been a closed kind of week, and I wanted you to notice something in Ephesians chapter 4, okay? Verse 22, we've already read, and I didn't really get into this a lot last time. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. Do you see that? To put off your old self. And then in verse 24, and to put on the new self. You see those words right there? Put off the old, put off the new. Paul is using a metaphor that everybody understands. When they stone Stephen... And Luke records that those men laid their clothes at the feet of the Apostle Paul. He uses this word. It's a Greek word to put from, to put down. It's an important word. And it has to do with actually putting on clothes and taking off clothes. And it's used that way in the Scripture. In in Hebrews chapter 12... The writer says in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us put down, let us lay aside 
every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us and the the vivid images of the runner who's not running in clothes that bind him, but he's running in clothes that liberate him so he can go, so he's not tied up as he tries to do his athletic competition. So I'm talking to you about some new clothes God wants you to put on and some old clothes he wants you to take off. Now we get this in verse 25 right away, okay? Verse 25 says, Therefore, on the basis of this truth about you are new in Christ, there's a new self birthed in you. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. You got to put down the lie. And the word there is pseudo. And we have all kind of ways we use that Greek prefix pseudo in our own language. It is anything that pretends to be something it is not. That's the clothes you got to take off. You take off the lie. You tell the truth instead of the lie. Now, that's the first change of clothes God calls for his church to make in this paragraph and this passage. And when we do it, we honor him. It ought to be a relief to you that you don't have to pretend anymore. You can be who God created you to be. You don't have to have a false front or be fake I had a young minister call me here recently and say, they want me to be like the guy who came before me. They're telling me to do things like he did them. You know what my response to him was? You be who God's made you and called you to be, your authentic and genuine self, That's why God called you to that church, because that's what that church needs right now. And if you were following him and they were following him, then you be who God's called you to be. Isn't it a relief? We don't have to pretend. Put off the lie. Put on the truth. Now, he's saying, speak the truth, every one of you, to his neighbor. For we're all members of the same body. So the falsehood, although it covers a lot of behaviors, attitudes, and pretense. And man, we need to work on this. Let's be genuine. Let's be who we are. Nobody in the room's the super Christian. We don't have to pretend we have no problems. Sometimes we get into church, and the church is the last place we want anybody to know we have any failure in our life at all. And we'll be more honest with strangers than we will with brothers and sisters. Let's throw off that thing. Let's get rid of that lie. Let's not walk around like everything is fine and pretend. And let's speak the truth to our neighbors. Why? Because we're all in this together. This is a body of believers. And we either move forward together or we go backward together. We are all members of one body. The word all includes you. 
I hope I don't catch you speaking about the body in the third person. Those folks down there or those people at the church. No, sir. You're the church. You are. Embrace it. Own it. All right? Receive it. We're all members of one body. Celebrate it. You're the church. And yes, the church has problems. And yes, we're all working on them. And part of the problem is if we're not genuine and real. So let's lay aside the lie and put on the truth. Look at that next verse. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Now, men, I don't know if men are more prone to anger than women. I'm not sure about that, okay? But I know men that have problems with anger. Now, women get angry too, all right? This is the thing. We've got to replace the anger with self-control. Self-control instead of anger. Get rid of that angry spirit that's continually surfacing in your life. Now, I had a closed moment today. It's going to take me a while to get over, or this week, rather. I came to work in a jacket, and I was having a meeting, and I got through with the meeting. I looked in the trash can, and the staff had thrown my jacket in the trash can. They did. I said, what is this? And they had a consensus that the jacket was hideous, terrible, and horrible. And it looked like it came from the 80s, which it did come from the 80s. It was an 80s jacket, I confess, and it did have that acid kind of look. And I didn't know I was that outdated, all right? So they put it right in the trash. All right, that was one of my close moments. I got another coming. Now that anger... That angry spirit, that way of dealing with the world that's just anger. That's how you get it done. That's how you manipulate your environment. That's how you relate to people. That's the thing you see that's giving you success. Maybe you got so used to being angry all the time and intimidating people with your anger and your children and your spouse. And that's just how you operate. It goes in the trash, brother. It goes in the trash. You've got to take that off. That's not like your Lord. And if you're going to worship, you can't wear that suit. Now, there are times when you need to be angry, but you don't sin in those times. There are times when the hair comes up on the back of your neck, and it's because the Holy Spirit's in you. But you be angry and don't sin. You don't let the sun go down on your wrath. You're not a person that's always angry. Because if you are, you give the devil a foothold in your life. And I want you to see that. See, that anger is the devil's foothold in your life. That angry spirit, that angry way of being. Anger is a volatile and violent emotion. And we know that. And when people get angry, it's scary. We understand that. The devil takes a foothold right there. In the violence of that emotion. And he gets a hold of your life. And if you let him keep that, 
it's going to be like a lot in the neighborhood that never gets cleaned up and pulls the neighborhood down. You know, it's that one blighted place and you just tolerate it and let it go and down in your heart, you know it would be better for you to relate to people that you love on the basis of tenderness and compassion and self-control. But anger lets you get your way. And it's a destructive model of behavior that your Lord wants in the trash. And he wants you to put on a new suit of self-control. This is anger management according to God's word. People get angry and they lose it. The anger God has in his heart is is a reaction to the things that destroy us and an essential part of his holiness because he loves us and he doesn't want those things pulling us down. It's not the explosive and unpredictable emotion that is so often part of our demeanor, disposition, and sometimes personality. Self-control, brothers and sisters, instead of anger. Don't let the devil get that foothold in your life. Look at that next verse, verse 28. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. I love this verse. Let him who stole steal no more. That's how I remembered it. Let him who stole steal no more. Generosity and diligence instead of greed and theft. God's calling for your heart to be a diligent heart. For you to work for the things that you have. Work is good. It's important. We need to trade in those sneakers where we've been trying to get to that rich, quick, rich uh, track and just put on the work boots of diligence. I had a very wealthy man in my church tell me one time, he said, David, you know what? Great wealth is accumulated day by day in faithful work. We have lots of shortcuts we try to take. One of them is stealing, benefiting by the work of others. I hope that everybody in this room has put aside stealing and the attitude that makes it happen, that attitude of greed, that I want that stuff, the covetous heart that says, I want this so bad, I'm willing to take it from somebody else that owns it and have it as my own. Instead of that, embrace the ethic of hard work day after day, of honest labor. It will bless your soul and it will give you something to distribute to those in need. I love that dimension of the instruction. So it's not easy come, easy go, you know. 
I stole it anyways. So is God. It's I work not so I can build bigger barns, but so when my sister needs me, I can help her. When my neighbor's in trouble, I can help him. Have you ever been in a situation where you so wished that you had some way to help? But you're so far in debt, so stretched out financially, you can't help anybody else that's in need. Sometimes we live above our means and what we're actually doing is living above our generosity too. Not only are we living above our means, we don't have anything left to help anybody when they're in trouble. I love this. Put on this suit, this suit of generosity and diligence. So that when the time comes, hey, I've got some extra. I've worked hard for it. But it's yours if you need it. We all wanted to be there. We can be there. With honest labor. Look at that next verse. Do not let anything, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. See how he puts that? You got a hold of your mouth, right? I mean, it's your mouth. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Okay? You do the honest labor, you be diligent so that you can help those in need. And you watch your words, helpful words, not hurtful words. There's some words, brothers and sisters, that need to go in the trash can (laughs) along with my jacket. Yep, I was sitting at the TV this week and Janet said, you know how silly you look? I said, what? She said, you got holes in your socks. I wasn't thinking about it. I looked down there and I could see my toe. In the trash can they go. All right. We use these words too much that are destructive and unwholesome. They're filthy words. They pollute the air when they come out. Our children learn those words from us and carry them to school. And they smear the environment with thoughts and ideas that are just plain sick. Is it so hard to understand how these profane and vile words damage the world we live in? the community we are part of, the relationships we're seeking to nurture with love? Why do we hang on to them? We were talking about the gift of tongues here recently. And one of the men said, you know, God gave me a new tongue when I got saved. He took a whole bunch of words out of my vocabulary. And gave me a different way to talk. That's my dad's testimony. He was 19 when he got saved. He learned a vocabulary, all right? And God gave him new speech. 
You're representing the Lord Jesus at your work, at your school, in your community, with those clubs, in the recreation that you do. And one of the simple and wonderful things you can do is say, I'm going to speak helpful words, not not hurtful. I'm going to get rid of the unwholesome stuff. And the word there for unwholesome is rotten. You know, I hear somebody who's just a fount of rotten speech. And I suspect that down inside, there's something rotting there. Something died down inside. And those vile words are just bubbling up to the surface from that pool of corruption that's down inside of them. I know this is not an easy habit to break. And if you've gotten into the habit of using words that slash and burn, this is going to be a change for you. Is Jesus your Lord? Do you want to worship Him? Then lay down the rotten talk and pick up the words that build, encourage, edify, And bless. Be careful with your children. That they don't learn from you. How to curse. Instead of bless. As parents we want to pass on the blessing. What's that mean? That means we learn. To control our mouth. So no unwholesome talk comes out of this mouth. And when I speak. Even when I'm doing discipline and correction. Out of these lips come words that help and heal and correct and bless. It's a change the Lord wants us to make. And it will benefit those who listen. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Pleasing the Spirit, not grieving him. Maybe you didn't know that God sometimes grieves over our behavior and words. Did you know that? Did you know that you can grieve the Holy Spirit? You can resist the Holy Spirit? Now the Holy Spirit is God's active presence in your life and in this room. He is here today and when I pray, I pray the Holy Spirit will be the teacher and that he will take his truth to your heart in a way that a human being cannot. And these words that are written on the page will take root in your heart through the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, you could read this passage and have a clear conviction, an uncomfortable sense of your own guilt in the presence of God when you see these words and hear these truths and go back through those doors to the very same behavior that you knew when you were sitting in the pew, dishonored God. And that would be grieving the Holy Spirit. So let's please the Holy Spirit, not grieve Him. We wrestle with a lot of things. Who are you going to please? Who are you trying to please? What's it take to please them? Who are the folks who, who you most want to impress? 
What's it take to impress them? Here's the truth. You please God. You make that your goal, to please Him, that He will be blessed and impressed. That He will be happy with your words and your deeds. And that will be power and strength in your life To resolve in your heart that you're going to please the Holy Spirit in your behavior at work will be liberating for you. You won't have to figure out anymore all the personality profiles around you so you can cater to them. You won't have to be a man pleaser anymore. In fact, the clear instruction of God is when you go to work, you're a God pleaser at work. You please God first. It is clearly stated in the scripture for those who worship the Lord. That they are to be God-pleasers, not man-pleasers. Knowing that if we are honest and true and faithful and we are speaking helpful words, that the work environment will be blessed because we are pleasing God. If you've been struggling to know who to please, here's the answer. Please the Holy Spirit. And that will set your life aright. Look at verse 31. Get rid of all. How much? All. That word comes up in the Bible. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of speech that intends to hurt. That's what malice is. See, malice is you with evil intent speaking the thing you know will damage. And it comes out in lots of ways and every form of it is against the will of God for your life. God is at work in you, building you up, even when he corrects and disciplines, he expects that of you. Get rid of that vile clothing. Kindness is to characterize you instead of injury and destruction. You're to be clothed with kindness. We read a scripture last night on this stage that blessed me. The bride and groom, Ashton and Amy, had chosen for their text Philippians 2, 1 to 5. And as far as I can remember, it's the first time I've heard it in a wedding. Now, Philippians is the next chapter, the next book in your Bible. So just if you flip over two pages or so, you'll be at chapter 2 of Philippians. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, the Apostle says, by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Isn't that beautiful? Tenderness, compassion, fellowship, and love 
to characterize your life and relationships just like it characterizes God's activity toward you. Something's got to go in the trash. All the bitterness, get rid of it. It's eating you up. Its companions are rage, anger, violent behavior, and speech. You cannot harbor bitterness in your heart and keep it confined. It will get loose in you. You think, I'm just bitter about this one thing. But it's like a poison in your soul and it works its way into the way you talk and your nonverbal expressions with your wife and children and the people that you love. That bitterness is not confined to that one place in your heart. It gets creeping out all over your life. That's why the scripture says you've got to get rid of it. Learn to forgive. Learn to forgive. Not for the sake of the person who receives your forgiveness. For your own sake. Learn to forgive. Let it go. Don't let it pollute you. Substitute kindness for the intention to injure, for the bitterness that boils inside. So you'll be healthy and relationships around you will be healthy. And you can bless the most important people in your life You have no idea how powerful these virtues are that the Holy Spirit is recommending to you. They are powerful in your life. And when you imagine the most unlikely place for your kindness and love and generosity to be unleashed, that is the very place where it will have the most power. It is an unexpected, unanticipated reaction in so many relationships for you to love instead of hate, for you to do good instead of do evil, for you to respond with encouragement instead of cursing, for you to bless instead of injure. And it is so powerful that it gives pause for everybody who witnesses this behavior particularly when it is known that you have been injured, for you to be free of the bitterness and filled with kindness and compassion. It is startling, amazing, and even life-changing for the people who watch you. It is so surprising that in their mind, you will become a model of a different kind of behavior. And when they want a change in their own life and words, they will come to you because you startle them with who you are, how you respond, and how you operate in your world. That's what Jesus wants. He wants you to be the light and the salt. And it is your act of worship to substitute the injury with kindness. Change out of bitterness into love and compassion. In fact, the scripture says, chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. Now, 
What's my motive to make these changes? Why should I get rid of this wardrobe I've been wearing? I'm comfortable in these clothes. They've fit me for a long time. Because God loves you. And you're the object of his love. And he's asking you for a change. And so even though it's hard to do, Set that old wardrobe aside for the new one he's calling for in your life. Do you sometimes look in your closet and think, I need a whole new wardrobe? Maybe maybe you don't. I wore a suit here recently that was 22 years old. That is old for clothes. I'm older than that, but that's old. <laughs> that's getting on up there for a suit. And sometimes you look and you think, yeah, you know what I do? Say, thank God, my brother, husband, father, there is power to change in the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ that transforms us and motivates us. We are dearly loved children, and on the basis of that, we can behave in a different way. Imitate God. Not the world. You know who you imitate when you tell lies? When you put on the false front? When you pretend to be what you were not? That's the devil's game. He's a liar from the beginning. And the father of lies. And when we fall into that trap, we're just following right along with the destroyer. Who devours us. Imitate God. Not the world. We have lots of pressure from the world to do what they say do. Some of your friends don't want your language cleaned up because if you clean up your language, it makes them uncomfortable. You know why it makes them uncomfortable? It feels like a judgment on their bad behavior and words. There's no way you can avoid that, sister. If you put on these new clothes, there may be somebody in your life who says, where's the old you? I liked it better. Yeah, because it validated their destructive behavior and lifestyle and words. You were partners in that kind of behavior that was going down that trail. And if you put on this new suit, somebody may object. But that's all right. Because who are you trying to imitate? The God who loved you and gave his son on the cross to save you from your sin. And you are being consistent as a worshiper of God by imitating him who has given his life for you. Look what he says here. Just as Christ loved us, verse 2, live a life of love just as Christ loved us. And gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See that? That's worship language. See that fragrant offering and sacrifice? That's worship language. That's about you responding to the great God who loves you with an act of worship. And what is this act of worship? Truth instead of lies. Helpful words instead of hurtful words. Kindness instead of destruction. Changing these old new suit, old suits for the new suit God wants you to wear. 
There may be somebody in a room who looks at this and says, I can't get there. I mean, I can see how it would be good, but, but I'm so angry. You don't know how deeply I've been injured. The Holy Spirit knows how deeply you've been injured. God knows. He knows it not only intellectually and with logic. He knows it because His Son became flesh and lived among us. And we killed Him and hung Him on a tree. He has endured all the things we endure with which we justify bad behavior. God endured it through Jesus and His life upon this planet. And when you come to him in your weakness and say, Lord, I don't know how to get rid of this bitterness. He knows how. And he can enable you to put on the new suit that will unleash his power in your relationships in life. Let's bow together. Now, somebody here may have never trusted Jesus as Savior. As you bow your head right now, could I recommend to you the Savior of this world, Jesus, who loved you and gave himself for you. And if you've never given your life unto him, would you just say, Lord, I need you. I confess my behavior, my words, have been outside of your will and purpose. I know I'm a sinner. I want your forgiveness and I want you in my life. Would you give your life to him, committing your way to him, receiving his forgiveness, and by faith coming into his family? Lord, we pray today that you would help us imitate your behavior and attitude toward us with our words and deeds toward others. And God, we pray that you will give us the strength, the courage, the determination and diligence to put on these new clothes and to put off the old so that we might represent you more fully, truthfully in our world and so we might give you glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our response time today may be something that you need to deal with very privately in your own heart. Or it may be something that you'd like to pray with someone about. Our prayer counselors are going to be ready to receive you. Maybe you just want to come and pray here at the altar. Maybe you've got a burden on your heart that you'd like God to lift. And you just want to come for that time of prayer. I invite you to do that. We'd love for you to come. You are welcome to do so. Come as a couple if God is dealing with you about something. If you have decisions that you need to make, you are welcome to come here and pray. Maybe you need a church home. This is a proper uh, response as well. And you can come saying, I just want to be part of this congregation. Maybe you need to be baptized. I'm going to baptize on Easter. If you've been saved, you trusted Jesus, but you've not been baptized since you believed in him. Well, then you could be part of that great celebration. Let's stand together. We're going to sing during this time of response. And I encourage you, why don't you come as we sing?